364 days ago, 1st of January, we looked at Psalm 1. And then in the following two weeks, we looked at Psalm 2 and 3. And back in November, when I was discussing with Mark what was going to happen at the, the three weeks that he's away, uh, I think his logic just, let's just do the same summer series, but let's do it summer 2024, Psalm 4, 5, and 6. So back in November, it was decided Psalm 4, 5, and 6 will be the, the text for the next three, three weeks. But there's a little bit more than this. Some of you might know that my sister-in-law, Albie, passed away three weeks ago on the 8th of December. Three weeks and two days, actually. Albie's exactly the same age as me. Albie and Ian was married one month before Katinka and I. And that's about 28 years ago. And we've always been quite a close family, so it's been a very difficult time for us. But what's significant about this, and the reason I'm sharing it with you, is that a week after her death, I was talking to my mum, and my mum shared with me that her, it turns out, her last conversation with Albie was, around, was on Psalm 4. And, and Albie was sharing with her what a comfort Psalm 4 has been to her. Now, of course, she didn't know that that was going to be her last conversation. And when I heard that, it was like the Lord saying to me, there's a reason things happen. Nothing is coincidental. And it's the Lord's providence that we are looking at Psalm 4 this morning. And there's something the Lord wants to share and say to you this morning from Psalm 4. Nothing, nothing is lost in God's economy. Even in suffering, even when things go bad. But also when we experience joy, nothing is lost in God's economy. So I've shared a little bit with you about what's happened in our lives the last few weeks, but how about yours? <clears throat> what's your last few weeks been like? Well, let's think about what, what has your last year been like? We're on the last day of 2023. So I'm sure a lot of you have kind of been contemplating the year that's been. And what has this year been like for you? What's the highlights? Perhaps you have also experienced loss and are still hurting. Perhaps you are right now in the midst of a struggle, either at work or at home or in your family. Perhaps you've been struggling in your marriage or in your relationship, not knowing which way to go and how to solve problems. Perhaps you're a parent worrying about one of your children. Perhaps you're a child worrying about one of your parents. Perhaps you're struggling with unforgiveness in your heart. Just that one person that just irritates you. And you can't seem to forgive them. Perhaps, young or old, you are struggling with rebellion in your heart. There's just some stuff you cannot accept. Any or all of these things could be happening in your life. And it doesn't really matter 
whether you have been on a journey with God and that you've placed your faith in Him in 2023, or if you've still been on a journey and have not quite yet put your faith in the Lord. It doesn't matter what, what direction you're coming to Psalm 4 this morning. It's all relevant. As we look at Psalm 4 this morning, we will see that it represents the same experiences that we have been through this year. It brings us the true perspective of whatever journey you've been on. Whether you're struggling with God or whether you found God to move even closer to you. Regardless, your experience will resonate. Psalm 4 will resonate with you this morning. Psalm 4 is an eye into the heart and life of David. But it also stands as a witness to us and to the whole church, the universal church, of mankind's heart, our nature, and our propensity to disobedience. But despite our hearts and our human nature, God still sees us as special. We're special in His creation. We are the beings that He sent His Son to come and die for. He didn't send His Son for the trees, or the sheep, or the animals, or the goats, or the whatever your favorite animal is. Cats. <laughs> Despite that, we are seen by God. I know we see ourselves as special, but that's just being self-centered. What you need to realize is that God sees us as special. He acts mercifully. We see from the first acts in creation at the fall of Genesis, Genesis 3, God said to Adam and Eve, if you eat of that fruit, you will die, you will be destroyed. They eat of the fruit, and what does God do? Does He destroy them? No, He acts mercifully. He gives them clothes to wear, He covers their nakedness. That's what God does first. And yes, we then bring a curse into the world, but together with a curse, God promises the serpent crusher will come. The head of the serpent will be crushed. So the book of Psalms is either one of your favorites. I was just talking to Harry this morning. book of Psalms is either one of your favorites or you would describe yourself as not really a Psalms person. And that's okay. I've also oscillated between the two through my life. But the fact is that the Old Testament, and specifically the Psalms, capture a lot of history and theology in the Psalms. The, the reason it's difficult is because it's written in, in, in Hebrew poetry. So it's unsystematic, and it's, it's often fragmented. But it's very dense in theology. The Psalms is filled with history, actual history, of personal encounters with God. It's not like a, a national history book that tells us about 
you know, the nation Israel and, and the nation's encounter with God. Yes, it does do that. But the book of Psalms talks about personal encounters with God. It's actual history of actual personal encounters with God. And today we are going to look at King David and his actual personal encounter with God. And that's why it makes it relevant for us. Because we are not corporately saved, we are personally saved. And it's that personal relationship with God that matters. So as we read through the Psalms, we, we can feel the joy. But more often than not, it's the anguish and the suffering and the distress that resonates with us. Because we go through difficult times. And then we search for meaning. Lord, where are you? Please hear me. And this is where the, the Psalms are so rich. As we read through the Psalms, just think about the thousands and millions of Christians over the last 3,000 years that have prayed and sang these Psalms. So our hearts and our voices this morning will join these millions of voices that have prayed and worked through the Psalms and found meaning. So through the Psalms, the book in general, we see the essential nature of man counterbalanced by the essential nature of God. And by doing this, the insufficiency of man's nature is laid against the all-sufficiency of God's nature. This is why I just mentioned Genesis 3, because that's where our broken nature is revealed in creation. It's when sin enters the world. As I mentioned a year ago, we talked about Psalm 1, and the following week Psalm 2. And I mentioned back then that Psalm 1 is placed first, not because it was written first, but it was specifically chosen to be presented first and second, Psalm 1 and 2. And this is because it, it acts as two gatekeepers as you enter the book of Psalms, Psalm 1 and 2, or two pillars as you go through the gates of worshipping God. And Psalm 1 and 2 lays out the reality of our world. There's two types of people, the blessed and the cursed, the saved and the unsaved. There's good trees bearing good fruit. There's bad trees bearing bad fruit. There's kingdoms that fear God. There's kingdoms that rebel against God. That's what we saw in Psalm 1 and 2. So when we get to Psalm 3 and 4, it's the same thing. They are also seen as a unit. They are both prayers of King David. And so Psalm 3 is called the morning psalm. Because David says in verse 5, I wake up in the morning because the Lord sustains me. The Lord has sustained me through the night. Psalm 4 is called the evening song. Because David says in verse 8, In peace I lay down and sleep. And the symbolism here is quite beautiful. So as we enter into the book of Psalms, we have the two pillars, Psalm 1 and 2, and they give us the lay of the land, the blessed and the cursed, the saved and the unsaved. 
And then you get to Psalm 3 and 4, and we see that it's the Lord that goes before us and after us. He sustains us until we wake up in the morning. He gives us peace as we go to sleep at night. Kind of that idea of fully surrounded by God. So these psalms are not randomly arranged. They're very specifically chosen to be presented first. And so, like I mentioned, it's no coincidence that we're looking at Psalm 4 this morning. And let's now all just read the psalm together. So I invite you to open to Psalm 4 and read with me the eight verses. I'm reading from the the NIV. So in the ESV or some of the other translations, the words differ slightly. Psalm 4. Answer me when I call to you, my righteous God. Give me relief from my distress. Have mercy on me and hear my prayer. How long will you people turn my glory into shame? How long will you love delusions and seek false gods? Know that the Lord has set apart his faithful servant for himself. The Lord hears when I call him. Tremble and do not sin. When you are on your beds, search your hearts and be silent. Offer the sacrifices of the righteous and trust in the Lord. Many, Lord, are asking, who will bring us prosperity? Let the light of your face shine on us. Fill my heart with joy when their grain and new wine abound. In peace I will lay down and sleep. For you alone, Lord, make me dwell in safety. So as I was contemplating these eight verses, I noticed a few things, and I'll start with the obvious things. The first is that it's a psalm of David. And that usually just flies by. But if you think about what stage of his life was David when he wrote the psalm, David was about 65 years old. He was at the end of his reign. It's a mature King David here that is praying. So this is after him reigning. And think about him, all the armies that he has at his disposal. And what this reveals about David's heart. The second thing I noticed was that it starts with, for the director of music with stringed instruments. So this is the instruction from David, who wrote the psalm, director of music, on how to lead the worship choir. He used to do it with stringed instruments. So you'll see we've got some stringed instruments here this morning. So that's good. I also noticed that there's structure to Psalm 4. In verse 1, David is praying to God for, for his preservation. And then verse 2 to 5, David addresses his enemies or a group of people that is pursuing him and counsels them regarding their position and repentance. And then from verse 6 to 8, David returns to praising God 
for his true perspective, the fact that David has a true perspective of what's happening, and for the peace and safety that God provides him. So as the psalm progresses, the same as in Psalm 3, David moves from anxiety and distress as he starts his prayer to peace, assurance, safety, rest. So with all that in mind, let's look at each verse one by one. Verse 1. Answer me when I call to you, my righteous God. Give me relief from my distress. Have mercy on me and hear my prayer. The ESV translates this as, Answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. So we shouldn't read this opening verse as David saying, Answer me, Lord. Thumping the table in anger. No. His heart is at the complete opposite end of the scale. He's humbly coming to the Lord saying, Please answer me, Lord. Because you are my righteousness. David knows that it's only God that is righteous. And this is the basis that he starts from. He starts his prayer with a very strong declaration of his faith. God, you are my righteousness. And because you are righteous, because you are holy, because you are mighty, I know that it's only you that can save me. That is what David is declaring in this first words. And he's distressed. Because he says in the second half, give me relief from my distress. These are not just casual everyday words. David is under pressure. <coughs> Verse 2, how long will you people turn my glory into shame? How long will you love delusions and seek false gods? So when David's saying my glory, we shouldn't understand that as meaning his glory as king of Israel. That's not what David's saying. He's using it to say my glory is God. It's like us saying my salvation is Jesus Christ. My glory is God. So David is saying, how long are you people going to uh, turn and bring shame to my God? David's crying out to the Lord about these people. Because they are continually shaming his name, not bringing him honor or glory. It's amazing to think... That about 2,900 years ago was when this psalm was written by King David in his reign. That people back then loved to follow delusions and seek false hope. Has anything changed? Our language has changed. The way we commute has changed. Everything's gone faster. Science has taught us heaps about the created universe and in that just brings more glory to God because the deeper we investigate the more we find out there's more there's more but deep in the human heart has anything changed in 2900 years we look at the world 
and we see people looking for false hope. And let's be honest, we look in our own hearts and we see the same thing. We put our trust in our abilities, our plans, our ambitions, our loves, all of those things that we love to keep close. This is why the Psalms are so effective. I said that your experiences during 2023 will resonate with Psalm 4. And this is why, because deep in the human heart, it's still the same. We're broken and we need a savior. Verse 3, David says, Know that the Lord has set apart his faithful servant for himself. The Lord hears when I call to him. So here David's warning these people. He's warning them and kind of saying to them, you messing with a praying man. The Lord has set me aside and he hears when I call to him. But they don't hear the warnings. We see the same thing with all the prophets. And we see it kind of getting to the pinnacle in the life of Jesus. Jesus was also rejected. And not recognized as the Messiah. In the second half of the verse we see yet another declaration of David's faith. He says the Lord hears me when I call. The Lord is a personal God to him. He ascribes the attribute of hearing. So he's got a personal relationship with God. And he says, I know that the Lord hears me when I call. And this may get you to the point to ask, but what might be wrong if the Lord does not hear my prayers? If God is silent? And there's a few things, not an exhaustive list, but not abiding in Jesus according to John 15 is one of those reasons. Unbelief, not placing your trust in the Lord, according to Matthew 17, is another reason God is silent in prayer and does not hear. A troubled marriage relationship, 1 Peter 3, is another reason your prayers might not be heard. Unconfessed sin. According to James 5. Or living a deceitful life. Not being honest in everything that you do. Even at work. Even in the smallest things. Psalm 17. So that's just a few reasons. Of why. Even though we think. We place our trust in the Lord. He does not answer. When we call to him. You see the problem is never with God. The problem is always with us. So David continues in verse 4. He says, Tremble and do not sin. When you are on your beds, search your heart and be silent. So David is speaking to these same people that mock him. The same people from verse 4. Uh, sorry, verse 2. And he's further counseling them and warning them. Saying that do not let your convictions or your version of the truth consume you. 
And so let's just stop here for a moment and think in your heart, which side are you placing yourself on? Are you personifying yourself with David or with these people that are mocking him? You know, one of the other things our hearts often do is we think we're David. And sometimes we are. When we are close to the Lord and we are being obedient, we are. But most of the time, we are this group of people from verse 2 that are opposing God's will, that are not placing our trust in the Lord, and that are not hearing the warnings. So this is a wake-up call for all of us. Think about it. Where are you? Are you ignorantly thinking you're David? Or are you searching your heart, making sure you are not part of this group? That through your laziness, through your complacency, we are bringing dishonor to the Lord and resisting His work. David's advice is this, fear the Lord. It sounds simple, but he's saying fear the Lord. Think deeply about whatever truth or conviction you hold so dear in your heart. At night, when you're alone and quiet, whatever it is that you are so convicted about this anger or unforgiveness towards somebody else, or this worldview or whatever's happening in the world, we've all been through that the last three years, four years, three years. But when you're really honest and before the Lord, you will come to the conclusion that the fear of the Lord prompts you to be silent. Because for the one or two things that you are convicted about, there's six or eight or ten or twelve things that you are wrong about. And it's only a humble heart before the Lord that can be quiet. But we, we struggle with that. Our way is the opposite, isn't it? We sin and we don't tremble. David says, tremble and do not sin. But we are the opposite. We follow our own hearts, our own minds, our own plans, our own life ambitions. All of it, our own things. David is saying, at night when you lay down and the world is quiet, don't empty your mind like an Eastern meditation. Don't drain yourself. He says, no, take this time of silence and let your conscience speak to you. Wake up your conscience. Search your heart. And be honest with yourself. Where are you placing your trust? It's about trust. It's about faith. This is very good advice from David. Because he cuts straight to the point. Remember what Psalm 1 and 2 told us. Blessed and cursed. You either fear the Lord or you don't. David's saying to this group of people, this is your problem. You mock because you don't fear the Lord. Well, your lives, our lives, this church, this city, will it not be transformed 
if we all follow this advice from David. Fear the Lord and be quiet before him. Something profound to think about on the last day of the year. David continues in verse 5. Offer the sacrifices of the righteous and trust in the Lord. These words are again for the same group of people from verse 2. And we read from James chapter 1. That human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. So in human anger we can also say human conviction human passion or human anything does not produce the righteousness that God desires. James also writes and says that the Lord not give you this mirror to look into. And of course he's talking about the law. And brothers, has the Lord not shown you and me our true nature? Has he not shown you our nature, your heart? If he hasn't, then you are that person that I jokingly said in the morning looks in the mirror and forgets what you look like. This is the purpose of the law in the Old Testament. We have to stop relying on our own plans and our own ambitions and put our trust in the Lord in all things. David knew the value of Sacrifice. He's not saying sacrifice has no value, but he's saying sacrifice without trust has no value. So for us today, obedience without faith in the Lord has no value. It has maybe temporal value, but no eternal value. The real gold nugget here for us is that when obedience is combined with trust in the Lord, with faith in the Lord, that's when the Lord draws us close. And He, he sets us aside as that faithful servant. And He hears us when we call. And when we are in this relationship with the Lord, is when His blessings and His closeness to us is the most profound. And I suspect that this is the reason why my sister-in-law, Albie, found so much comfort in Psalm 4 in her last week. But David here also warns us not to put our trust in what we think is right. In the same that I said with righteous anger, our anger doesn't give us the righteousness that God desires. But neither does the truth that we hold so dear, unless it's the truth of Scripture. David says, repent and put your trust in the Lord. Repent, meaning turn away from the things that you are placing your trust in. It's either the law, doing things, being obedient. So you're living a religious life. Or... It's placing your trust in worldly things. It even counts in marriage. Do not place your trust in your marriage partner. There is a certain amount of human trust that needs to go there. 
but our trust in everything, our faith for salvation and everything in life needs to be placed in the Lord. And David says, repent from this. David did not put his trust in his counsellors. Think about a mature King David. Yes, he was fleeing from his son Absalom, but he was still king. He had counsellors, he had armies with him. Did he turn to any of his commanders and say, go and destroy these people pursuing me? No. He had all these things at his disposal, and he turned to the Lord. That's what was in David's heart. He trusted the Lord to provide him safety and deliverance from this situation that he was in. He was not relying on his own plans. Verse 6, many Lord are asking, who will bring us prosperity? Let the light of your face shine on us. So the people are taunting and asking, where is our prosperity? Because like we saw through the book of Job, for the world, prosperity is always linked with blessing. This transactional thing between us and the gods, if we bring them honor, they give us blessing. And in every situation, even here with David, that's what he's being taunted with. David, if your God is so faithful, where is our prosperity? And, and this is again one of the great weaknesses of mankind, is patience. We just can't wait. We can't wait for God's time, for God's things to happen. We have to do it in our time, with our way. We can hear the voice of the typical cynic here. Science has disproven God. God's not needed. Jesus was not real. Or if he was real, he was just a man. He's not the Messiah. He can't pay for your sin. Who are able to change things for me? And the answer is left only I can. That's what the world is saying. The poem Invictus by William Hendley summarizes what the world's been saying for thousands of years. He finishes his poem and he says, I am the master of my fate. I am the master of my soul. And we all are too eager to believe it. And say, yes, I need to take things into my own hands. I need to step in here. Because it's at, it's at number 99. And if I don't do something, it's going to be tragic. The Lord has not turned up. That's often how we justify it in our, in our heads. But despite this worldly cynicism, and despite where David is at, he's in real distress, he's at number 99. Look at what his heart says. Right there in the second half of verse 6. Instead of cursing them and saying, Lord, please destroy these people that pursue me. He says, no, Lord, let your, the light of your face shine on them. Let the light of your face shine on all of us. David's asking the Lord to reveal himself to these people 
so that they can see the true perspective that David has. He's not after their destruction. And in this he's also saying, Lord, I know that it's only you that can change them actually. It's because you are my righteous God, you are my glory, you are mighty. It's only you that can change their hearts. And then when we get to verse 7 and 8, we see David ending his prayer. And he's starting to move back towards the benefits that God is giving him. The benefits of him knowing and trusting in the Lord. Fill my heart with joy when their grain and new wine abound. So David understands that having grain and new wine is not what brings joy. Remember again, this is a mature King David. He's had new grain and new wine. It doesn't bring joy. For us today, money in the bank, a paid home loan, a nice car, clothes, none of that brings real joy. David says, no, joy is found in the one that created all things. Joy is given by the one that gives all things. The Lord. David's praying, Lord, please fill my heart with joy. Even though you fill their grain and new wine. Because remember, the Lord gives to the unbelievers as well. It's Him. He gives everything. But David is saying, Lord, my preference is joy first. Think about what his son Solomon asked for. When he was given the option, what did he ask for? Wisdom first. Not grain, gold, wine, anything else. And that's a true reflection of what's happening in your heart. What is it that you truly want? That's what you're placing your trust in. And then David closes his prayer in this true perspective that he has. And he says, in peace, verse 8, I will lie down and sleep. For you alone, Lord, make me dwell in safety. So David kind of closes his prayer. He leaves everything with the Lord and says, Lord, now, now I can go to peace because you will sustain me until tomorrow morning. He leaves his troubles with the Lord, knowing that the Lord looks after everything. At the end of the year, whether it's been a good or a bad year, let's leave all these things with the Lord. And we know that he will sustain us and carry us through to the year that's ahead. What brings David his safety is his trust in the Lord. Because the Lord is his righteousness, verse 1. The Lord is his glory, verse 2. The Lord is his joy, verse 7. The Lord is his safety and his peace, verse 8. These are the things that are at the top of the pyramid for David. These are the things that his heart desires. The Lord is his righteousness. The Lord is his glory. The Lord is his joy. His giver of joy. And the, the Lord is his giver of peace. This is the kind of faith 
that brings us closer to the Lord. This is the kind of faith that brings rest and peace. Even though the storm around you is still storming, supernaturally, God brings peace. David does not rely on controlling his circumstances. He relies on the one that controls the circumstances. My sister Albie, like David, knew that her eternal safety and peace was in the hands of her Creator. She has laid down and now dwells eternally with the Lord. And my prayer, my prayer is this morning that we all share in the heart of David and we see that it's the primacy of what is at the top of your priorities is the heart that God desires. Our hearts calling to God as our righteous God cannot be priority number two or three or four or mixed in there next to having a nice home or a long holiday or whatever it is that's competing for primacy. The Lord needs to be your primary concern where your heart places your trust. And I pray that we all be guided by this and pray for the new year that the Lord fills us with joy. In all of David's anguish and distress, it's joy that he was praying for. Joy, peace and safety. And so I pray that all of us will make this our prayer for the new year. Lord, please fill us. Fill our hearts, each one of us, with joy. And let's experience, Lord, your peace and your safety in the year that's to come. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.